Thanks for the sermon. It's taken from the gospel. Uh, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I want to begin this morning with uh, a recantation. uh, That is, I'm recanting of something I said a long time ago. uh, Not that long, but a few years back. Uh, And the reason I, I am is because it illustrates a major lesson for us all. On Epiphany 3, like I said several years ago, I preached a sermon on Jesus and his disciples attending a wedding, the wedding of Cana of Galilee, where he turned water into wine. And in that sermon, I made this statement, and I quote myself. Uh, Three days after uh, his baptism by John, Jesus uh, and his fledgling disciples went to a wedding in Cana. Three days after his baptism. Well, what's wrong with that statement is my accounting of the wedding feast uh, that it was three days after his baptism, and that just could not have been the case. I was flat out mistaken, wrong uh, on that, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke clearly state that immediately after his baptism, he went into the wilderness. Uh, I had not attended uh, close enough, and that's the lesson for us is to pay attention, be attentive, be intelligent, be reasonable, and be responsible. Pay attention to it. I had not paid enough attention to what was going on in the Gospel of John. Now listen to this, and here's, here's uh, another point. In the Gospel of John, we have a description of John the Baptist preaching and being questioned. But in fact, there is no description at all, or not even a reference to Jesus' baptism in the Gospel of John. Why? Because John had baptized Jesus 40-some days earlier from the event that we have recorded in John. That's what I want you to understand. And it's easy to mix these things up. Uh, and so John is the, 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 uh, uh, less over the uh, event that's recorded in John is actually... Uh, an event that occurred after Jesus had returned from the desert and his temptations. So we walk into the middle of this conversation that John Baptist was having with the Pharisees, and they say, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah nor a prophet? And John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The next day, John saw Jesus standing uh, along the bank, Remember, this is 40 days, some 40 days later. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God. I saw the Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and light on him. After that, two of John's disciples left John and followed Jesus. One of those disciples was a young man named Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. And it was soon after that that Jesus picked up Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. It was the next day, the third day, after John had announced the Messiah's presence that Jesus turned the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. So there you have the rest of the story. Go back and check it. Make sure I'm telling you the truth. Make sure I haven't misunderstood something again. Uh, So let's get back to this text. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. Immediately after his baptism, 
Immediately, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the very spirit that God had witnessed, uh, that John had witnessed, come down from heaven. St. Mark puts it even stronger. The spirit, after his baptism, immediately driveth him into the wilderness. This place, this wilderness, uh, this wasteland is referred to in the Old Testament as the devastation. It's a sterile place full of salt deposits from the Dead Sea. No vegetation grows there. It was also the location of the Qumran with hundreds of limestone cliffs and caves. And if you've ever seen photographs of the Qumran area, you know uh, it's a lifeless place. It's also where David hid uh, from King Saul in and around uh, uh, that uh, region. Uh, this was a place known as the wilderness, the devastation where Jesus was tempted of the devil. The doors of heaven swung open at his baptism and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down and lighted upon his head. And then the father spoke to the Baptist and he heard him say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now that was a first step into Jesus' public ministry. The declaration by the father that Jesus is his son. The second step was the testing, the proving of that declaration, uh, and, and that is what we call the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness, and that's what the temptation is all about. It's all about Jesus's identity. This narrative is not meant to demonstrate to Christians the manner by which temptations may be overcome. That's not to say that uh, lessons for living cannot be drawn from our Lord's personal experience of, of temptation. But the danger of that utilitarian approach is that it will overshadow, and it does, it has, over and over again, overshadowed the meaning that, uh, uh, that the event had for Jesus and for his disciples. That meaning, simply put, is that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, is also the son of God, which means that he's Israel. Because that's what that means. The temptation is all about Jesus and his identity and all about his mission. And that is what the devil meant to dispute and to destroy by force, fraud, deceit, or trickery. If thou be the son of God. That's what he says, isn't it? Over and over again. If thou be the son of God is a challenge, resistance, the hostility that we will hear from this moment forward uh, one way or another throughout our Lord's ministry. And here is the beginning of that conflict. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now listen to me. Notice first that this first challenge is not a quotation from Scripture. The others are. Uh, Satan is actually quoting Scripture. Never forget that either. But this first statement is not from Scripture. Nowhere in the Old Testament is there any indication that stones will be turned into bread. Jesus will, in fact, take a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, and he'll multiply them hand over feast, fist to feed thousands of hungry people. But he never turned a stone into bread because that would be magic. And magic, listen to me, Magic overturns the sacramental principle. Do you see what I'm saying? 
You can multiply bread and fish, but you can't take a piece of stone, a stone which is of one nature, and turn it into something else because that destroys the nature of the thing. And that's the very first principle. The, sac- the very uh, first principle would be under, uh, overturned by Satan uh, of, of Christ and his church. So what is that sacramental principle? There are two parts to the sacramental principle. First of all, the material creation, listen to me, the material creation is not the opposite of the spiritual. No, it is not. But in fact, the material is spiritual. Right? The material is spiritual. The great example, the great archetype of that truth is the incarnation itself. The Word became flesh. The life-giving sacraments of the church are all based upon the fact that God himself has entered into the material creation as a creature, a material creature himself. The word did not come down uh, from glory like Botticelli's birth of Venus, uh, of Venus uh, uh, or like Athena bursting forth from the head of Zeus, a full-grown adult. That is contrary to nature. But the incarnation is not contrary to nature. It actually affirms nature. Uh, And that leads to the second sacramental principle, which is this. Grace does not overturn nature. It does not destroy nature. But grace perfects nature. Grace perfects nature. So the Word, by becoming flesh, not only affirms the material creation of our very personal material bodies. It perfects nature, perfects flesh. The word was made flesh, will not, will, will turn water into wine, will multiply uh, real loaves and fishes, will loosen the tongue-tied children of Israel and give sight to the blind, but he never overturns nature. He always perfects it. He always completes it. The word became flesh without destroying flesh. The devil is tempting Jesus to use his divinity to work magic, which destroys nature, which overturns the sacramental principle. Are y'all with me? But even more devastating to Jesus' identity, turning stones into bread, this is a second point, uh, a third point, Uh, uh, turning stones into bread would be a rejection of God's will for his son. The will of the father for the son at this moment involves fasting and hunger for his son. Jesus loved his father with his whole heart, soul, and mind. But he answered and said, Jesus answered to Satan and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh forth from the mouth of God. The devil tried to draw Jesus away from his path of loving obedience and trust to his Father. In each case, our Lord answered the temptation, the tempter, uh, from the Bible and specifically from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 through 8, uh, which is the context, is the context of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. That's no mistake. That's no, uh, that's not simply a fluke. 
the temptations are drawn from three events in the life of Israel in the wilderness wanderings. The first temptation is linked to Israel's longing for the flesh plots and the bread of Egypt, and they began to murmur against Moses as their stomachs began rumbling. Jesus rebuffs the devil's second temptation with a quotation from Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Israel had demanded signs from God over and over and over again, a testing of God. Give us this, give us that. Over and over again, Jesus finally defeated the devil at the end of the third temptation with the words from Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, uh, and him only shalt thou serve. Where Israel was drawn away by fascination with the Canaanite, and this is just a fact, where <coughs> they were drawn away with fascination by the, uh, with the Canaanite cults, alien gods and their courts of power, Jesus remained true to his father. Last paragraph. Just as Jesus identified with Israel in his baptism, that identification continued on into the temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus is the new Israel. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Jesus is identified and is the new Israel. He recapitulated not only Adam's temptation, but he also recapitulated Israel's temptations in the wilderness, and he reversed the failure. He established himself right there as the new Israel, and, and, and soon he would return to the banks of the Jordan, and he would gather 12 apostles. That should ring a bell for us that correspond to the 12 patriarchs of Israel. After the third temptation, the devil, the Bible says, left him for a while, but he was never too far off to attempt to destroy the work of God in Christ. And we shall see over and over again, and especially on Palm Sunday, as our Lord was dying upon the cross for us, the tempter appears again, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.